we go for a late night episode of Best Worst Podcast. This is Doug. This is Jacob. And this is episode number 27, and that was the sound of the Kalila 12 here. Um, we're recording at uh, 1045 after we've been to the uh, 48 Hours 2015 yeah, Grand National Finals. Final. Yeah, which was a terrific set of films, I thought. Man, uh, the, the quality this year was fantastic. Yeah. Pretty much across the board, and, and it was hard to, hard to pick who was going to come out on top, actually. Definitely. I'd, I'd like to give a special shout-out to uh, my friends in uh, T-Bulk, who did a um, incredible black-and-white uh, film that was, was a... Film, a uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, sort of a uh, film noir, not quite parody, but um, yeah, uh, yeah, quite, quite comic. Quite, quite comic, and I was hoping to take out something, but not this year. Yeah. But uh, the chess club film that won was fantastic. Oh yeah, musical. And, yeah, uh, yeah, and Amanda Billing had a great performance in the uh, number two, and yeah. deservedly won best actress. That was for tied, that. wasn't it? Tied, yeah, yeah which uh, Tom Sainsbury yeah. and uh, Rocco Babich, and yeah, um, yeah it's, and it's just such a great community of. Um, local filmmakers as well and that and it's you know that one of the things that they spoke of is that guys like you know we that when they chess club won they're like you know we know all your teams yeah. you know and we follow we followed you yeah and we'll be back next uh, yeah, year and, and that as a filmmaker that's that's where i came from yeah. so it's um it means a lot to me to see that still going strong and that's probably a good segue into the first film we're going to talk about. Um, so this is we, our fourth year. We should probably yeah, do yeah, the groundwork. Yeah. This is our fourth year now. No, fifth year, because 2011 yeah. was the first one. Yeah. So fifth year of uh, doing a preview for the New Zealand International Film Festival. This is a strange one because we've built it up throughout the year with our New Year's uh, program and our CAN program. And a lot of those films are in yeah. the program, luckily enough. Program, so yeah. if you want to hear us talk about um, the Roy Anderson or the... Duke of Burgundy yeah. again um, you can go back and dig out those episodes from the closet or um, you can hang out here um, now last year um, this went on Lumiere Reader that yeah. is not going to this year but um, uh, there's a number of interesting looking New Zealand films not many um, dramas only um, Deathgasm and Turbo Kid yeah. which are actually both international the yeah both yeah. incredibly strange uh, both co-produced by Ant Timpson yeah. both international co-productions um, and then quite a few documentaries um, many of which were promising. The most recent yeah. Coast of Boats film, yeah. uh, The Price of Peace. Uh, one of my friends made a film on Philip Dadson. And even some shorts. There's Alex Duncan's new short, The yeah. Tide Keeper, in there. But the film that I think is most worth talking about is a um, film by Lumiere reader, founder, and, uh, and chief editor, uh, Tim Wong, called yeah. Out of the Mist, which an alternate history of New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. So um, Tim's done, uh, I guess, an elongated film essay on the history of New Zealand in cinema, uh, but steering away from some of the big names that we've that have dominated the press of late, I guess, mm-hmm. um, and uh, looking at some of the films that are probably had are lesser known. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing a bunch of stuff that I probably haven't heard or haven't seen. And uh, I think Bill at the program, which had a little talk about about a few films, and he, he singled out Tim's film and said, "Look, you know, um, you might want to take a notepad to this because I think you'll find a bunch of films that you haven't heard of that you might want to get along and see." Yeah, there's a very standard colonized uh, list of what New Zealand cinema history is and um, I've read the, um, it's basically a filmed essay which is narrated by Eleanor Cadden but written by Tim using clips from the film to reflect it. I haven't seen the final uh, frame of the final product so I don't know how it plays but he's, it's very interesting work drawing on um, New Zealand painting tradition and discussing Mm. that and how that plays into our conception of landscape and how Mm. you know much of New Zealand cinema is dominated by a certain type of landscape Mm. often at the expense of things like cities and things like that Mm. and 
again when I was down in Wellington, he showed me one of the films that uh, that features in there called Next of Kin, which is often, um, even though it's uh, an Australian set film, it's a New Zealand by provenance and by creative team. And oh, yeah. That's a terrific film. And there's many films, some of which are incredibly hard to track down, that he's um, excerpted in there. So I'm, yeah, really uh, want to direct people towards that. Uh, it should be an eye-opener for anyone who's uh, even remotely curious about what might have been overlooked by people who think cinema begins and ends with um, Once We're Warriors and Peter Jackson here yeah. and the piano. I'm certainly, um, um, certainly very much looking forward to it and uh, interested mm. to see what I can find out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and there's actually um, the the essay comes from uh, the title comes from an essay he wrote for uh, Lumiere many moons ago called mm. Out of the Mist about um, King, King Kong and uh, River Queen circa yeah. 2006. So for any um, clever uh, cogs out there who want to bone up on their study before then, I yeah, uh, yeah. direct you to those uh, that essay. Um, although I think Tim would be a bit uh, abashed by me bringing it up anyway. Yeah. And he'll be of course at the Q and A. Now you and I were both lucky enough to go to the festival launch. Yes, yes, the program you mentioned, um, yeah. And uh, as has been the trend for the last few, uh, there's been a choice of films for people there to be able to preview. One um, of which is still embargoed by name, so we won't mention it. Yeah, yeah. But one that we went to see... <laughs> yeah, um, it's Finders Keepers. Finders Keepers, which is in the Strange section. Yes. Now, this is, this is a project that m- most people I, I talk to haven't come across it at all. Um, I, I bumped into it via a Kickstarter... Oh, did you, did you contribute, or did you just... Uh, no, no, yeah, it was okay. just something that I saw come across, and, uh, yeah, it just sounded like a one of those truths of stranger-than-fiction kind of pieces. Um, so, yeah, this, this is a, a documentary. Yeah, uh, basically the idea is about a guy who gets a barbecue at a storage locker auction and uh, discovers that there's a human leg in it and decides rather than giving it back to the owner of that leg who is separated from it but would quite like it back that he'd like to keep it himself and And see if he can make some money from it (laughs) yeah and and it sounds like the um, setup for either a really kind of cynical caustic thing or something that just couldn't possibly sustain feature or kind of a ballad of good versus evil and um, one of the producers of King of Kong is a producer here and even um, Billy Mitchell who's the quote unquote villain of uh, King of Kong is checked in the credits but what I found really extraordinary about the film and which I think is a common thing with a few documentaries I've seen this year uh, in my previewing which we'll talk about soon is the braveness of the filmmaker in not shining away from the messiness and the contradictory nature mm. and the difficulty of human beings. It's mm. it's not a simple good versus evil story. No. You'll find your sympathies tested a lot more than you expect. Finding empathy in places you didn't mm. expect. That was my experience with it. What was your experience with the film? It had less of a macabre sort of just plain weirdness aspect to it. it definitely feel good's not the right word but mm. there, were, there, there, were, there are some feel good sort of arcs to it yeah and, and it's more, a lot more about the the kind of the the journeys of the of the characters outside of the conceit which makes it i think 
it makes it really yeah, nice. yeah yeah it really opens up the world beyond these we sort of get a, a news montage earlier on that gives you a sense of oh this is what everybody thought about this is and this is how the mm. news played it but it's like oh well there's actually a much larger world out there yeah. um, and let's see what that's like and that's um, and Brian Carberry who's one of the filmmakers will be um, here with that film as well oh, really so um, yeah yeah so Great. there'll be um, a chance to discuss uh, that with him this was there anything else you wanted to say about Finders Keepers uh, no just that it is one of those weird strange conceits and the film has that kind of edge to it which will appeal to people who, who like the kind of the, the odd um, but at the same time I think it's it's got quite a, a, a much broader appeal than that yeah I, I definitely don't think anyone should be deterred by no, it being I, like, I don't think this is one of the strange incredibly strange films that people will turn up and go yeah I think. I'll talk about one of those later yeah, yeah I, I, I agree I, I think it could have easily been programmed in the main program mm. and I think you know and it's not that gruesome um, the, the what the foot leg actually looks like is wisely held in reserve yeah. for a, a long portion of the running mm. time uh, and the grotesquery is backseated to the emotional honesty which yeah. is a nice thing to have so you saw some other docs yeah I've seen quite a few um, probably about a dozen films uh, in the lead up to this I did a bit of re- reviewing for um, the Sydney Film Festival as well oh, okay, yeah. and so I saw some that way but then I've, I've been reviewing some other stuff in the lead in for it and there'll be a big um, piece on Lumiere and I don't want to yeah. go through all of those films no. but um, I did want to highlight a few that are really special films uh, that might be sli- might slide under the transom the first is a fantastic documentary called Pervert Park oh yes and that's the Six Fenders. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. And and it sounds salacious, but the name is the only salacious thing about it. The story of it is about a community in Florida for sex offenders who have completed their uh, time in jail, yeah, but, yeah. or prison, yeah. but have to re- re-enter society. Uh, in America, there's a lot of restrictions about how close you can be to a school or, yeah. you know, a thousand yards from school, a thousand yards from a church, da, da, da. Yeah. So there's limited places you can live. There's limited people. People who will accept you mm-hmm. and these two um, Scandinavian filmmakers um, in basically embedded themselves in the community for a couple months and just observed and let people tell their stories and their stories from those who you think ah oh, well that's kind of a miscarriage of justice to somebody who just straight up admits how they raped a five-year-old so it's not mm. it's not just kind of a letting people off the, the hook, hook yeah. or anything it's yeah. it's um it, it's it's and it's challenging but it is also treating these people as the human beings they are mm. and as messy and problematic as that is and as horrific as mm. those crimes are the question that's never directly spoken by the filmmakers what do we do in society mm. with these people that we have you know simplified and mm. and um, there's a closing uh, sequence of the film that is a real um, gut churner in realizing how many of these people's lives are permanently destroyed in ways. Mm. And and that's something that a lot of people won't find it in themselves to be remotely sympathetic to. Yeah. But it's something that I feel strongly about and an issue of that, you know, everybody deserves to be treated as a human mm. and in terms of how the film handles it. Yeah. That it's worth um very well, that's worth good seeing. to hear because it, it did sound like a like a pretty fascinating issue to investigate so it's nice to know that they've done a a reasonably balanced kind of Mm -hmm. look at that 
Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's it's some some would not call it balanced at all because oh. it's only immersed in there. They don't have they don't interview judges. They don't interview oh, right, yeah. prosecutors. They don't interview victims. But I think it's fair to say that those perspectives have been given quite, quite a, a lot of yeah, airplay. Yeah. Um, I don't think anyone will come to it not having learned in their mm. right life that sex offending is bad. Mm. And it may be in an alternate universe where that's the case. This might be a problematic film, mm. but I don't see that. Yeah. Another um, documentary that's equally um, troubling and probably even more troubling mm. is uh, Welcome to Leith, oh, which is yeah. the story of a small town in North Dakota called Leith of about 24 people. And one day a white supremacist moves to town and has plan, which is fiendish in its utter legality and kind of cleanliness and and I, I hesitate to use the word brilliance but basically he he wants to create an all-white enclave and have a town where they can set the rules of law and if he can get a majority if he can get 25 other mm. white supremacists to move there, yeah, yeah. then they'll have a majority of the population and they can do what they like. And the locals in this town, including one African-American man who's there as part of a um, uh, mixed marriage, uh, suddenly have to deal with this very sleepy farming town that's you mm. know virtually yeah. a post postage stamp, you know, having a house that has Nazi and Confederate flags hanging in front of it, having people walking the streets with shotguns and rifles as a show of force and um, storming into uh, town meetings uh, and talking about you know their their rights as whites. And mm-hmm. it's a different sort of question of the evils that we live with and what, what living with those evils does to that community as well. The first 45 minutes or so are, are just a complete pressure cooker. Mm-hmm. And if it was a conventional story it would build to a like a drama it would build to a shattering climax but it kind of um it takes a turn sort of 45 minutes in where which is kind of the equivalent of taking the pot off the boil mm. but the problem's not actually being solved and it yeah. starts turning its glance towards what's actually happened to the people of the town and yeah. how they've changed and whether what how they've responded to it is in the right and this is all done largely again observationally mm. so it's another really troubling, really important, uh, fascinating film. And after you see it, if you're thinking about Googling to find out what happens next, I would just say make sure you've had a drink of whiskey first. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, without giving too much away, the sequel is already happening in real life such mm-hmm. as it is. In the Animation Now section, there's a film that I actually saw on Vimeo earlier this year that's a short film that may be the best film in the festival. Uh, it's 15 minutes long. Mm-hmm. It's by uh, Don Hertzfeld, who did um, mm-hmm. originally it was Billy's Balloon and Rejected and some quite simple things and uh, wound up developing his skills to um, a brilliant film that I don't think has been released in this country. I wound up buying the US DVD called uh, It's Such a Beautiful Day, which is you will believe that stick figures can make you cry. And Don Hertzfeld came to fame recently for doing a crazy um, opening skit to The Simpsons which had like the Sam Sands and it was set in the future and they all had deformed faces and (laughs) tentacles and stuff. And um, some of the materials in that were uh, materials that he developed and working on World of Tomorrow which is just this really concentrated 15 minute short that 
uh, completely. Yeah, he he has a real knack for combining uh, the absurd and the incredibly sad, and so you're you're caught between laughing and tears, and the um, the techniques that he's using are getting increasingly um, intense and crazy. Uh, it'll look amazing on the big screen. And then two dramas uh, that I want to bring up. I won't say too much about the new Hong Song Su film because everybody <laughs> who's listening to this has probably listened to a podcast before and they've heard me go on about the Korean auteur whose film is about drinking and um, male hubris and lost love are um, known for their sort of simplicity and interchangeable elements Um, but this is one of this is definitely one of his best it's one that really stuck out to me uh, as being using all the same elements that he uses Um, but it's about a Japanese guy who's gone back to Korea to look for uh, a woman there Mm. he was um, working at a language school with and she's not around for some reason he hangs out for a while and leaves and right before he leaves he leaves a bunch of letters at her language school and um, the film starts with her coming in getting the letters but then she drops them on the stairwell and they're not dated Mm. and so she reads them and as she reads them those scenes happen but they happen out of order and there's also a letter missing as well so there's this really playful thing and there's also this you know these exploration of um, a lot of Hong's traditional themes of responsibility Mm. and identity and um, a lot of um, things going on with the Japanese Korean relationship that I'm ill-equipped to talk about just not being a historian on that front Um, and it's it's got a quite svelte running time I think it's like 70 minutes so Uh the last one I'll plug for is an Australian film called Partisan uh, which stars Mm. Vincent Cassell which is I'm really worried is going to slip through the margins Um, and it sort of reminds me of a cross between like Dogtooth and The Sacrament and Hannah. Uh, basically, not combination. <laughs> yeah, basically, like he, Vincent Cassell, plays this guy who becomes a male cult leader who has all these women under him and this set of children that he's raising. And uh, it's set in sort of an undetermined post-apocalyptic would be harsh, but certainly it's not mm. particularly utopian future. And what those children do is uh, and what he gets money for having them do is not something I'm going to go into here because it's a spoiler mm. but it builds its sweet time um, Ariel Kleiman I think is the surname of the director it's his first feature film but he's been doing shorts for several years mm. and there's a rock solid assuredness to the direction um, there's a lot of space for um, seemingly almost absurd digressions there's quite a bit of karaoke in it um, quite a bit of observation of the young children yeah. and it's really striking and it won't be to everybody tastes, but it's one of those that I think might slide under the radar this yeah. year. So I hope people check it out. Yeah, there's a few other um, great films that I'll mention in um, the article as well. So because that's one yeah. I haven't heard much about, and that sounds quite interesting. Yeah, so those, those are the films. Like we've often, we've been like you said, the ones we've been talking about prior to this record have been the, the big ones out of Cannes, the, the directors that we know about, the films that we've been waiting for. But uh, often in the festival, it is the ones that you. 
that you just read in the brochure or read online and go, yeah. what is this? I've never heard of this person or this place. Yeah, and that's that's something that's really um, a bit frustrating in a way because mm. so many of the great discoveries and great experiences are having something that's so much above your expectation. Think, yeah. But, you know, when it comes <clears> to narrowing it down, and I know that, you know, both of us are probably going to have relatively circumscribed yeah. things this year, me because I'm partially out of town, you because, you know, the way the review tickets <laughs> are going <laughs> and stuff. Although, at least, you know, James White, you don't have to worry about going to anymore. Uh, okay, <laughs> let me let me just put a couple, a couple of minutes uh, into uh, James White <laughs> sadness, frustration. Um, so James White is a little indie film out of the States by Josh Mond, who is probably the, the least known portion of the Borderline Films collective, which is um, Sean Durkin, Antonio Campos. So it's Martha yes. Marcy, May Marlene, After School, Simon Killer. Yeah. And so this is a, a film that Josh has put out um, about a man whose mother is dying, I think, dying of cancer, and it's about him sort of just dealing with the situation. It's pretty, I think it's a pretty lo-fi drama, but uh, by all counts is, is very well done. Now, it's a, it's, a, it's a little film that probably most people won't have come across. Uh, I came across it just because I'm interested in Borderline. I've been following their projects, and they needed some money to help finish it, um, so they went on Kickstarter, and, and I contributed to the Kickstarter of it. So, so this I was, is personal for yeah, you, it's not playing. Yeah. I was very excited to see it come out in the program. I was like, oh, wow, it's coming, because there was no guarantee that it would make it to New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. It a pretty small film. So that was pretty exciting and then Friday I think it was saw some back and forth between the festival staff and another friend of ours Hugh who's been on the podcast in years past and uh, talking about oh I see that um James White sold out which freaked me out because I was like oh no right, sold yeah. out I'm not going to be able to get a ticket but it turns out actually that it hasn't sold out there's been some problems with the the sales agent had previously um, made, made some commitments, commitments that yeah. means that the film can't play before a certain date and so all of the Auckland screenings and three out of four of the Wellington screenings have been scrapped I can't see that it's booked for Hamilton otherwise I might think about taking a drive there yeah well we'll see but yeah, yeah. now um, so I'm a little bit sad I'm, well I'm, I'm quite a bit sad about that yeah. um, it was one of my if I only had five films I could get to that would be on the list yeah well, I'm sure the film festival is bummed about it because, oh yeah you know, they're totally to, bummed to go no, that's um, not their fault yeah. um, I mean the thing is there, there's still like, I mean there's so much in the program that we can see but it is yeah. like, kind of having something yeah. taken away but, so I just, I just hope maybe in some other form that might make it here to Auckland uh, I, I probably can't get down to Wellington to that screening um, if it does come to another centre like Hamilton I might take the drive I'll do a road trip with you if it yeah. does because otherwise you know if, if Madman has a chance to put it out in cinemas even for you know a couple of screenings or bring a copy to our house you know yeah, we're, yeah. We're, Jacob lives More just down King. the street now so you know um, <laughs> we'll supply the whiskey you yep. supply the uh, blu-ray and yeah. uh, we'll um, yeah. you, we'll do a live discussion afterwards we'll do you know yeah so I'll see it I'll see yeah. it at some stage I mean they'll have a VOD release as well um, yeah so, one way yeah. or another so it's a pity that that's not playing but I, there are you know as the, all these other films I yeah. was wondering if you could talk about maybe some yeah. of the smaller films that we haven't talked about before that um, are on your radar that yeah well um, there's definitely a few that I picked up prior uh, well, um, since getting the program and, and, and reading yeah. um, that I knew nothing about prior to reading the program first one I'm going to talk about though is one that I did know something about um, <laughs> which is um, sponsored by Vice actually, which I don't know what this is about it, but it's it's another slightly odd vampire film. We've established your love of vampires yeah, yeah, yeah. over the years. So this is a girl walks home alone at night, and this is odd, kind another odd realization of a vampire film. It's it's by 
uh, Iranian director Anali Amirpour, I think. Um, and I'll buy that. And it's it's set in Iran, and the the main protagonist vampire is, is a young Iranian lady who uh, walks around in her shadow. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and I guess lures in the odd unsuspecting uh, tra- traveler. Just sounds like uh, my brand of sort of lo-fi slightly surreal interesting setup with a vampire edge to it which uh which yeah just sounds like my cup of tea yeah well the beautiful uh, black and white photography should yeah. uh, look terrific on the uh big screen and and all reports of, of that film are pretty positive so yeah yeah I, I i there's some people i know who haven't responded to kind of some of its slower rhythms i think it is very uh stately uh in its treatment but it's um i mean for which is probably why people like us that, yeah. that that suits you know but yeah there's a reason it's not in the incredibly strange section mm. perhaps and mm. then it might not deliver that kind of um yeah well it's, it, to me it, it seems like it has well from what i can tell reading about it it has a, a more considered almost um lo-fi slow um aesthetic to it yeah. rather than it's not an action gore thing which you know is cool it's another interesting way to to look at um that whole kind of genre <laughs> Yeah, and good to have a film by a female director on these yeah. lists as well because that I mean we that was even brought up at the uh, uh, launch as well that yeah. you know, especially for dramas that female directors are underrepresented for documentary they tend to do yeah. quite well and but, this is a uh, genre in, in some ways a genre film with a female protagonist and a you know vampire films are mostly kind of male driven um, hmm. so it's really actually quite nice to have this I mean a little bit reminiscent of, of Let the Right One In which had yeah. The girl as a as a vampiric character, um, but yeah, this this just sounds fascinating. And sitting around with a Iranian lady, yeah, it's great. Yeah. So where's your next film set? Uh, it is set in Guatemala with uh, I think a Mayan background. And this is uh, excuse me, I'll just uh, check my pronunciation here. Excanal Volcano. Um, so it's 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 about a, a young teenage girl who whose family I think is a coming of grade. age story. Well, yeah, yeah kind of coming of age, but in a, in a very different setting, like a a highly traditional um, setting, Mayan setting, which I don't know much about, who, I guess, um, has this sort of traditional lifestyle, family is in the coffee-growing arena, okay. there's, there's an arranged marriage that um, she's expected to kind of carry on the family farm and and cement their, um, I guess, line going on. But she's got other ideas, and it, it sort of breaks out from that tradition. And it sounds like a, like a story that you could transplant from another space, and it would sound oh, maybe run-of-the-mill, but it's just such a unique setting and I think it'll be an interesting interesting to explore that I, I also have a, a good friend who's um, a couple of good friends who spend a lot of time in Guatemala and up in the mountains doing some primary aid care um, primary okay. care aid um, so I don't think I've seen a Guatemalan film Can you I'm not sure that I have either yeah hmm yeah there's I know there's a lot of um First Chilean films yeah. and, and yeah, Argentinian, yeah. Argentinian, yeah, yeah, Bolivian, but and obviously the, yeah. there's a volcano that they live in the shadow of volcanoes. Well, that's it. Looks to be just one of those quite small films that could pay dividends. I'm, I'm, yeah, pretty interested to see how that goes. Cool. What else is there? Um, as people, um, if they listen, will know, I, I for the last couple of years at least, I've taken both my daughters um, to a film every year. Uh, well, for the last couple of years, it, it has been in the last 
last couple of times um, the animation for kids or anima- teens for Toons for Tots. Yeah. Um, this year I'm branching out and going to take them to a, a full narrative feature. Uh, I will Have you gone to a full narrative feature outside of festival? Have you taken yeah, them to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, mostly Mi- kids' cartoons. <laughs> no, not Minions. I took them to Shaun the Sheep was the last one I took them to. Oh, okay. Yeah. And they can sit still for a whole feature? Uh, Depends on the feature. Actually, my youngest freaked freaked out at Shaun the Sheep. Oh, really? I'm, yeah. I'm I ta- haven't seen Shaun the Sheep. I'm taking her yeah. to the new Ghibli film. Okay. And hopefully she'll connect with that, um, which is about um, some girls, um, a girl that moves to a new town. That's when Marnie was there, yeah, which I'm very uh, excited yeah. to be seeing. Um, yeah. It's for all the family. So I think she'll, she's a bit older now, and I think she, that's the kind of film that will appeal to her. Well, you know, I think the mm. film will appeal, and, and I'd love to see it as well. Mm. But the one that I want to talk about is Song of the Sea, which I'm very excited about and have been for a while. So that's from Tom Moore, um, Irish writer, director, animator, um, who did uh, Secret of Cows um, quite a few which years I've ago. Which I've heard of, but I didn't miss. Oh, it's fantastic. Fantastic. I, I did miss, excuse me. Yes. I mean, story-wise, he, he explores, um, I guess, Celtic histories and traditions. Um, so The Secret of Cows was about um, the Book of Cows and the writing of the Book of Cows. What's the Book uh, of Cows? Um, oh, it's, um, it's an ancient gospel. Um, Celtic oh, okay. Gospel. Um, okay. So it's a Celtic religious text. Yeah. Cool. Um, and built up a, a monastery ages ago, and it has a bunch of sort of, I guess, um, tradition around it um, and stories around it. And so he sort of animated that uh, a narrative story out of that um, with with a bunch of kind of surreal and slightly um, folktale kind of stuff woven in. Um, so this one, Song of the Sea, is about um, a brother and sister, I think, and um, brings in the the folklore of um, Selkies, which are um, a, a Celtic folklore creature that on land can be a person, but in the sea they turn into a seal. Have you seen The Secret of Rowan Inish? Yeah. Yeah, okay. And yeah. those are selfies, selfies right? Yeah. Okay, got yeah. it. And so this is another um, another animated thing. Now, the, the thing is, with um, at least from Secret of Cows and what I've seen of um, Song of the Sea, his um, animation is really rich and vibrant in colour, but very different from any of the Ghibli stuff or any of the Pixar stuff. Right. Very distinct colour, lots of Celtic patternings, a lot of movement, spiral motions and things like that, that those kind of typical Celtic patterns and... Secret of Cows had a lot of oranges and greens. This has got a lot of blues because of the sea and stuff, but it's, it's a very, very distinct um, visual palette. And uh, I'm taking my elder daughter to see that. Oh, now um, I'm thinking I should go to see it. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's had mixed reports from overseas, but definitely some people who, um, who have really loved it. But regardless, I want to see it. And w- when I saw that it was on, I thought, oh, actually, Emily would really love that, I think. So cool. I'm really excited to see it with her. Yeah. We'll have to invite her along for an epi- special episode. Yeah. yeah. Or, or I can just record her um, <laughs> and, and check it in. Cool. Um, yeah, so, so so that's going to be exciting. So that's Song of the Sea, and uh, if you want to look at some animation that's different from all of the other animation that you've been seeing, then I'd highly recommend seeing Tom Moore. Cool. Um, and now one, for one you won't be taking your kids to. No, um, this one is uh, The Club, which is Pablo Lorraine, mm-hmm. um, who people may remember uh, was as a Chilean director who did um, No, I don't know if that's the most recent. It is. Recent. I think it's the most recent. Uh, did he Tony Monero? Tony Monero. Yeah, Tony yes. Monero. I didn't see Tony Monero, but I did see No. So No was the one about the um, plebiscite. The yeah, Gail Garcia yeah, Bernal, Bernal was an advertising yeah, executive, and, and, and they, had the, they had the vote for or against video the, um, equipment. the dictatorship. In, yeah, yeah. He does some quite political and quite yeah. He, he gets into controversy in, in his local kind of area in, Ch- in Chile. So this one, the club is digging into some of the not so clean laundry of the Catholic Church because <laughs> right. um, I guess 
Catholicism is big in South, yeah. South America. And um, he's looking at a bunch of, I don't know if they're ex-priests or just priests um, who have been shifted out of their parishes for various reasons and I guess the classic things people think about that I, I've definitely heard of from Catholic friends is for child molestation right. and, and sexual things where, where a priest gets um, caught out for something and instead of sort of it being dealt with in a really harsh way the church kind of hushes it up and yep, sort of moves, sort of them, on, moves yeah. them on to an, another country or somewhere in the remote countryside and so this is about a bunch of priests who have been moved on um, yeah, and so it's a narrative feature it, it's probably going to be a little bit prickly um, yeah it sounds that way um, he, he's got a he's got a great visual sense as well as um, as well as kind of a really interesting way of I know, it, pr- I know it premiered at Berlin and I think it won some awards there yeah I'm hoping it'll come back because it doesn't work quite nice with my schedule but it looks um, yeah. like strong tea although I never got around to seeing what was that again um, that's not Calvary a, it's not um, a big name similar oh yeah actually oh, I quite I quite enjoyed Calvary as well yeah. that's um, the one with Brendan Gleeson yeah, yeah yeah anyway and um, you have a fifth film as yes, well um, it's actually okay. by one of my least favourite directors but maybe uh, I'll yes, bring um, Andre Konchalovsky yeah. yeah so this is one called The Postman's White no. Night um, and so this is a Russian film mm-hmm. now Andre Konchalovsky um, people might know is the director of such art house classics as Tango and Cash mm. and also House of Fools which uh, <laughs> was a insane asylum uh, piece set in Russia starring um, Brian Adams uh, as <laughs> Brian Adams as Brian, as Brian Adams one of the inmates wow. would um, have these fantasies about Brian, a- Brian Adams um, as you do I, I actually wrote program notes for that film in the 2002 Portland <laughs> Film Festival before seeing it and then I um, went to see it because I got a free ticket to yep. see it for writing press notes um, and I think I explained Konchalovsky's intriguing career choices <laughs> than that but um and i couldn't make it more than 20 minutes because oh, it was wow. crazy people he's also done a recent 3d version of the nutcracker which is oh. supposed to be a famous debacle oh, wow. but uh, he also was involved with yeah yeah, yeah, some he, he, tar- he, yeah yeah he um he was uh, at least a co-writer if not a primary writer on andre rublev and um ivan's childhood which had well i can't say two of my favorite um tarkovskis because they're all kind of equally fantastic yeah, and there's only seven. So yeah, now. yeah, um, yeah. So he was involved in Tarkovsky magic, which is yeah. um, pretty impressive. But this is at least a, a Russian film. Um, this is uh, set in some small island quite far north, which has white nights. Um, which, if you're not sure what that is, um, did you, anyone see Insomnia? So oh yeah. Basically, uh, it's far enough north where you start getting um, months out of the year that are completely light and then completely dark okay. because you're so far close, so close to the pole. Yeah, and so this is set in a place where there is it's it's in complete. Um, I guess it's, it would be in summer then. Mm-hmm. It's completely light all the time. John Sales again. Light. Limbo is also a film that yeah. has a similar thing. Yeah, um, um, and so this is in some sort of small island with a, a small community and, and focusing on mostly on a postman who travels around in the boat delivering mail and being involved in people's lives. Seems to be quite a sort of lo-fi. Not a lot happens, but. Oh, I love Russian cinema, and this it just seems like an odd sort of setting and premise. So, are you going to the Fool? The 
Fall. Which one's that? It's uh, it's the other Russian film that's playing, or there may be more than two, but it's the one that I've heard the best things about. I, th- I, I think it's about somebody who discovers one night there's a major problem in the city and that some people are going to die if it isn't oh, attended yes, to. Yes, but, and they're um, trying it's to... It's quite inconvenient and for try- bureaucracy. And, yeah. so, and, and so I think... It's, it that sounds like, like a typical Russian story, yeah, actually. It, it feels like sort of a Leviathan-esque yeah. story, perhaps without Zygvanitsev's uh, penchant for operatic uh, yeah. visuals. But, um, yeah, I've heard some quite positive things about that. Yeah, um, yeah. It hasn't quite bubbled up to the top of my list, but mm. seeing it on the... Uh, well, this definitely sounds like program a program there. Interest yeah, as well. yeah, it's uh, there's so much of interest. Um, I had a few films that I wanted to yeah. bring up. We mentioned female directors before. And we mentioned Incredibly Strange before. Mm. Ulrich Seidel, interestingly, I, I previewed one of his films for a Sydney Film Festival called In the Basement, which is a very provocative, disturbing sounds documentary like a, sounds about disturbing. It's sort, sort of inspired by Joseph Fritzl so, finding yeah. out what else um, Austrians have in their basement. Um, <laughs> and he produced this film that's directed, I think, co-directed by his wife called Good Night, Mommy. Uh, yes. And uh, the yeah, this is one concept that is, <laughs> s- is pretty simple in that um, it's about these two young kids whose mother... Twin, twin boys, isn't it? I think twins, yeah. Whose um, mother gets facial surgery and comes home with bandages uh, covering her face mm. And the kids become convinced that it's not there. Yeah. And I don't know if it's something in the Austrian sensibility, Mm. but there's sort of this, um, from how I've had the film described, this sort of ruthless, um, somebody, perhaps Ant, described it as directed by like a surgeon or an architect or something. You know, a complete clinical heartlessness. Mm. And a couple of my friends saw it at Fantastic Fest last year and raved about it there as being, uh, it was, I think, a secret screening there. So that's. Um, that may be one of the hardest watches that isn't Pervert Parker Welcome to Leith yeah. in the program but I'm quite uh, looking forward you know it's a pretty light yeah. program in the Incredibly Strange this year there's only eight yeah. films and um, you know Death Gasm and Turbo Kid both seem like these over the top kind of fun yeah. things there's a couple documentaries there's the Gaspar Noe film which will be what it is yeah and, yeah um, but this and The Invitation I think are the only yeah kind of shockers yeah. yeah and unfortunately I'm not going to be able to make The Invitation I don't think Mm-hmm. because of the John Spencer Belusa explosion who are playing the same <laughs> night. you got to have your priorities. Yeah. I'm increasingly discovering it's important to have some happy films, though. Yeah. And a couple years back, uh, when Wilco came, oh, right, yeah. uh, Mavis Staples opened. And I didn't really know who Mavis Staples was, <gasps> but uh, I knew she was a blues gospel kind of singer. And I'm yeah. like, oh, let's check her out. She's a bit older. Um, you don't want to skip somebody who's old and then like, be like, oh, I wish I had seen them and now they're mm. dead. Um, that's how I think about things. <laughs> and after Mavis Staples got done, I could have happily left, mm. like, even though I paid to see Wilco. She was amazing, you know. Wow. Um, uh, Sharon Jones is, you know, yeah. kind of another woman who's in the later in life yeah. uh, soul circuit. And some similarities. Mavis is more gospel blues, but um, just such a powerful personality. And um, the documentary about her, I 
I think is flying a little under the radar. Mm. I think um, Amy has managed to get the one-word female yeah. uh, well, singer it's, it's documentaries. Well, it's because uh, more people know who Amy Winehouse is. That's true, and also Asif Kapadia is a, a, a did Senna in yeah. that film yeah. connected with People Wars. I don't even know who directed Mavis, to be honest. And it just premiered at South by Southwest. And the people who saw it raved about it, but there weren't that many people. Like yeah. it, it didn't. Um, and so I think it's got an uphill battle. Um, but they have programmed it at the Civic, so oh great, room for optimism. One film they haven't programmed at the Civic, probably with wise reason, mm. is uh, um, in the Visions program. I, I know they've had these kind of like how do we treat like art house yeah. over the years, and sometimes they'll have the masters, or sometimes they'll ha- they used to have the slow section, yeah, yeah. and um, and then have weird pro- things that would be nestled in, and now they have this vision section, which I think is pretty much just Bill saying these are all the interesting yeah. you know auteur directors that you should pay attention to and like you know I, I'm pretty much seeing almost everything in that section you know it's where a pigeon sits yeah. on a branch of existence it's where the Duke of Burgundy yeah. is and so on and um, Balik Bayan number one Memories of Overdevelopment was a film that I vaguely remembered hearing about when it played Berlin and I'm like mm-hmm. I'd love to see it but I'll never make it here it's by some Filipino director it's two and a half hours long and mm-hmm. uh, it's like the he started making this film 20-some years ago after previous film Perfume Nightmare was a modest success and then it fell apart and then he came back to it 20 years later and shot some new footage and like spent some time so what he's splashing together footage from that he shot that, that he shot before with oh, new great. footage and stuff explaining what wow. he was going to shot that never ha- shoot that never happened so it's either going to be a pretentious load of cod swallow or just this really visionary intriguing film and not only is it playing but the director um, who I will roll with uh, pronouncing as Kidlot Tahimek mm. is uh, coming mm. and so um, wow yeah so it's going to be completely not like anything else on the program not like anything else yeah. most of us have seen um, although I did start watching a um Who's the director of Possession? Zuwalski film called uh, To the Silver Globe, where he actually got three quarters of the way through and some footage got destroyed and he um, would insert shots of landscape narrating what he was going to put in there. <laughs> but yeah, that just it's just one of those. It's like, okay, I... Mm. This one ain't coming back to the bridgeway. <laughs> you know? yeah. Let's let's get in there for that. Another guest is uh, Turner Ross, who um, he and his brother the, are filmmaking yeah. partners, and they got a I couple of films. Heard, in this yeah, show, they? they have two films, and um, their previous film I heard about a couple of years ago. Um, and again, again, I mean it's a proud best words podcast tradition that we butcher names, so um, I'll pronounce it Chupatulis. Um, was a low key indie drama that I. I think was set in around New Orleans that they'd made and I'd heard really good things about it I think Oscilloscope released it in the States oh, yeah. and they have a pretty yeah, good I've seen the name before yeah um, and they have a new film called Western which yeah, is Western. a border romance um, border being between Texas and Mexico, Mexico yeah. which would make it an interesting companion piece with uh, Cartel Land which yeah, is yeah. the other border piece that's playing which I've seen and is quite good okay. um, and worth seeing well, I think it might be like kind um, of um, not necessarily Dardenne's in style but in terms no, of like yeah. non professional actors oh, yeah. and stuff like that of a cartel um, land Sadako, yeah yeah cartel land is very much Daco. and yeah, so I'm definitely seeing western as well yeah well yeah western western's on my list and um yeah and you can see both of their films and turner ross will be at both of them oh great um 
And the last one, I didn't write it down, but it completely eluded me when I looked through the booklet. But this is an Ant Timpson recommendation that I've heard, seen Nassim backed up. Is a documentary called Peace Officer. And I feel like a lot of the documentaries that I've seen so far that involve oh, law yes. enforcement or, or strong issues uh, are really, have been really standout. And this is by, uh, I can't remember who it's by, it's a, the director's coming, but it's about an older man who founded a department in the Baltimore police, perhaps? I'm mm. really stretching. I, don't, I should have looked at this before. Suffice it to say that it gets into some hardcore issues about the militarization of police in the United mm. States and yes. um, how this group that this one man created, he's now trying to dismantle because it's become essentially this almost paramilitary organization yeah. instead of what law enforcement was meant to be, which is peace officers. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's a topic that's getting a lot of play um, this last couple of years because of Ferguson and, yeah, well, and the, other such. Yes, it's quite topical. I mean, Welcome to Leaf is yeah. another. And Cartel Land is also, um, uh, you know, you have a militarization of a populist. You have a militarization of the police. Mm. You have these deeply divided uh, racial boundaries in the States. Mm. It's uh, I, I watched it's a an interesting mess. YouTube video um, from a, a guy that... I think he goes around teach uh, well, t- talking in places about the militarization of p- police and and the, some of the negative consequences. Who's he's Israeli and is, and I think he was in like a peacekeeping force. But his dad trains the a lot of U.S. police forces get sent over to get trained by the um, oh, Israeli military. Israel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so yeah. he's come over to the states. He and he's kind of talked to his dad about it and going, look, I really don't think this is a great idea. <laughs> um, and then uh, has seen what's been happening in the states and and then is sort of talking about why this is happening and, and how they're being trained and saying this is not this is being trained to do anti-insurgency for soldiers this is not police force peacekeeping you know yeah it's, it's pretty surreal interesting topic and quite topical yeah yeah i mean firearm issues in the states and and civil unrest mm. are so worrisome right now i mean there's this charleston shooting i was just yeah. um reading about a shooting that really traumatized me when it happened which was the aurora colorado shooting at the um batman uh, dark yeah. knight oh, yes, yes. premiere which um because my brother lives um close to that theater and he's the sort mm. of person that would have mm. gone to that it was all too easy to project and um yeah. two days ago deadline ran an incredible piece about the people who had gone to that movie that day yeah. and profiling what they went through on that day and very no holds barred detail and um, uh, the one detail that I think may never leave me is about a woman who survived who was shot and whose intestines fell out and she literally pulled them back scooped them back in as mm-hmm. she was fleeing the theater and I made the mistake of reading the comments and um, and you know this is the guy who did this like bought um, full metal jacket shells deliberately because he knew people would duck behind seats, seats. and so he bought shells that would go through the, the seats, seats. yeah oh, and um, and he bought everything he used legally yeah every single thing and you have these people in the comments being like well if he had just uh, you know there's no point in banning things because if somebody's a criminal they'll get it anyway and it's like well can't we at least try you know like and it's like oh and if if everybody had guns there it would have been somebody would have shot him and it's like well 
it's in the dark. He threw tear gas. Yeah. Like the odds that like a room of fully trained people. It, it, it's just these insane. Yeah. They're not even arguments. They're just. Um, so one thing that I like about some movies that I've seen um, outside of the states, admittedly, where like things like say Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Yeah. Particularly in the cast of mine, and also uh, a bit of Sweet Life, the Korean. Um, yeah. yeah. Revenge flick, where there's a, a point made. Uh, I don't even know if it's purposely being made, but it's just it is a, a humorous thing. How difficult it is for them to get a gun. Right. They have yeah. to go through some convoluted means of contacting the right person, arranging to have a sort of secret meet, and then go through and pay. And, and yeah. they don't really know what they're doing. Yeah, it is something that. Um, and it's I did. I did notice to bring it full circle. I did notice a few films in the forty eight tonight that had um, used guns sort of quite readily. Mm. Um, and I always bristle when I see like people in New Zealand making films that have guns flying around because they're mm. you know they're really not that common no here I mean people are more likely to knock over a um, convenience store with a machete than with mm. a uh, gun and it is a sort of learned behavior from cinema is that yeah. that's what people do in um, a movie is that they have a gun and they yeah. use it on people <laughs> and it's glamorized that way so you know these movies are part of that but then you know a lot of them are completely awesome in their yeah. use of it so and so Peace yeah. Officer is a doco Peace Officer yeah. is a doco yes mm. so uh, it's just it's just impossible I have a fantasy that and if anyone at film commission is li- or film festival is listening film commission I'm not picky whoever wants to do it, <laughs> to do it of one year um, and if anyone at Air New Zealand is listening they might help of um, going to see every single movie and going to every single city or town that the film festival plays in and seeing a film at every single venue and writing a book and um, uh, taking photos as well profiling the film festival because I think it's um, that'd be a cool project film festival people that'd be a cool project to profile to follow the film it could be a TV show that I would happily have it be a TV show you know whatever whoever wants to fund it I'm really you know I'm really not picky (laughs) Of course, you know, you know, yeah. society flies, they'll be getting like Marcus Lush or somebody to yeah. project, not us. No, well, <laughs> no, what'll happen is uh, then Ken Loach will make another film. <laughs> <laughs> to go see it. <laughs> It'll be Ken Loach, the Dardines. Yeah, place. yeah, probably some um, the guy who made The Woman, maybe he'll make another film. <laughs> anyway, I think that's probably about more than enough babbling for one night. Definitely, um, there's a lot of great stuff in the program this year again, auteurs that we know and, and big name things, but there's also a lot of really interesting looking little films that um, that pop up a few of which we've mentioned yeah. take a punt on some of these little ones if, if, if the synopsis online or in the program grabs you then you take a chance yeah the only uh, mistake would be to not go really yeah. so and yeah we'll see um, how our ability is to report during and yeah. uh, at the very least we'll do a wrap up afterwards of uh, what we've been able to see and uh, yeah check out um Lumiere Reader in the next week or two for a preview article for me on those films and some others. Yeah. Um, and uh, if you, you want to read more about Hill of Freedom or uh, The Russian Woodpecker, which is also playing the festival and is a really interesting film, mm. uh, my Sydney Film Fest coverage has that oh, yeah, cool. in there. And uh, and you'll be writing for Lumiere during the festival. Yeah, correct? yeah, I'll have yeah. at least sort of five or six films that'll be running down for Lumiere. Yeah. Cool, yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, Flix uh, has terrific coverage. The yeah. 13th floor has terrific coverage um, quite a few people doing uh, yeoman's work so yeah. yeah hopefully you can keep your ear to the ground for the uh, 
more obscure discoveries. Cool. Let's let's uh, finish this scotch yep. and go to bed. Until next time, it's Doug. It's Jacob. And that was Best Horse Podcast. <laughs>